0: Today's episode of Your Stories is sponsored by Overcast, a better podcast app than whatever you're using right now, unless you're using Overcast. Get Overcast for free on the App Store.
1: Your Stories is a wonderful opportunity to share all the highs and lows of being a
2: nerd. You know that hobby you have that you don't talk to anyone about? It's a secret you don't like to share because it might make you feel weird.
1: Maybe you're into something different. uh, Comic books, fantasy football, push-ups.
3: Your stories to me has been this really
4: kind and welcoming space where people just have the guts to be really honest and they share their voices and their stories with everyone there. No questions asked.
1: Uh, I've heard stories about all those things. Uh, Maybe not not a lot of push-ups. I maybe haven't heard a lot of stories about push-ups.
2: The Nerdologues is group therapy meets Toastmasters. I know there's always a place where my odd thoughts and unusual habits will be welcomed and championed in a warm, supportive environment by other nerds just like me.
1: And what's fun is you'll see people in the audience one month and then all of a sudden they uh, go up and tell their story. So
0: I'm Eric Arnault, and this is the Nerdalogs Presents Your Stories podcast. Today, we've got a super cool episode recorded a couple weeks ago at C2E2 on the Cards Against Humanity comedy stage. This was a tremendous show featuring some industry friends and podcast favorites like Joe Gennaro, Larissa Zagaris, Lauren Fates, Tim Seely, and Chris Crotwell, plus music from myself, Dwight Hassler, Katie Johnston-Smith, and once again, special guest Sasha Roret, who we're incredibly lucky to have join us for the next few months. I want to give a special thanks to Cards Against Humanity and to everyone who came to see the show. We had a super full house and we really appreciated all the love and support we got at the con. Also worth noting, the show is recorded from the uh, convention center soundboard, not the usual mic setup, so it's going to sound a little different than normal, but uh, I think it's cool. I think you'll like it. I don't have a ton to plug here today. We'll have information about our next public Chicago show up pretty soon. And in the meantime, we'll be doing a smaller scale event or two around town, which I'm pretty excited about. I also wanted to say, building off last week's episode, we got an amazing response to the Nerdologs podcast mentoring program. And we're so excited to share some new shows with all of you very, very soon. Um, But I think that's it for today. So enjoy this peek into C2E2. Everybody, hey! Welcome to. First of all, this is a much larger crowd than I was expecting. I don't know what that says about me, but hey, all right. Welcome to the Nerdalogs presents Your Stories. This is a long-running live storytelling show and podcast now in its seventh year. That's it's a long time. The last time we recorded at C2E2, I think it was like 2013 or 14. We were on the actual show floor. This is much better. Everyone knows the best live comedy happens in a conference room, so uh, (laughs) thank you to Cards Against Humanity for having us here. Uh, As I said, this is a storytelling show. Every show has a theme. The theme today is the uh, the appropriate-for-the-venue theme con job, right? So we're going to hear stories about that, but first we're going to bring up the house band, which I am in, to play some songs that relate to the theme and let you all settle into the show. So please welcome Dwight Hassler, Katie Johnston-Smith. These are songs about lying, and this first song is about the worst kind of lie of of all, lying to yourself.
6: Yeah, that was a good introduction, right?
0: (laughs) That, That was great, Eric, good job. Sasha Roret, who's joining us for a few months temporarily here. Give it up for Sasha! I mean a few months in the universal sense. Not like this show itself will be a few months. But what if it was? So, uh, this is a song about lying in a relationship. Y'all will know it and can feel free to sing along. I'm counting out the tempo. Uh, real quick, could you just... <laughs> You'll see them again, but first we've got some storytellers, so I have asked some friends and performers and great people from the Chicago scene to come do some time with you on the theme of Con Job, starting with, so this show was born out of a sketch comedy group that started eight years ago. We just celebrated our eighth anniversary, actually, and we have a member of that sketch comedy group here today. You might know him possibly, I guess, as Punchline, the hero of A Thousand Laughs. But today he is but a mere man. He is Joe Gennaro, everybody!
2: Thank you. (laughs)
1: Uh, So I have had the joy and privilege uh, to go to many conventions. New York Comic Con, Denver Comic Con, PAX, San Diego the Kansas City Game Expo and annual rib cook-off. And they were all great in their own way. Uh, but none have been quite like the Joko Cruise. Now, for any of you unfamiliar, the Joko Cruise is a convention in motion that, as of last year, ha- takes place in its own whole cruise ship, uh, which is to say that it is a floating Petri dish where the swabs are the community game library. <laughs> Uh, uh, The cruise ship is alarmingly uh, packed with talent and exuberance uh, from panels and shows and comedians and writers and singers and all kinds of artists. Uh, There are about a dozen different activities that someone could choose at any given time, and depending on what you did, you could walk away with uh, the flu or diarrhea or, if you're really lucky, mono. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Now, I got invited to go onto the cruise ship and perform in a series of improv shows, uh, like the Cards Against Humanity late-night writer's room, which will be happening on this stage at 7.30 tonight. Um, I just made $50 for saying that. (laughs) Uh, When I went on the boat last year, uh, the ship was boarded in San Diego, sailed south, and made two stops in Mexico before coming back, uh, totaling a week at sea. So, shit got cray. Well, shit could get cray. You you see, I'm a nervous flyer. Uh, I've never liked it. So as excited as I was to go on this boat and on this trip, uh, I was very nervous about flying out there. And one of the ways that my nerves manifest is through gastrointestinal distress. (laughs) My name is Joe, and I'm a nervous pooper. (laughs) And it turns out, one of the things that they ask you before boarding a ship with a seven-day course charted through international waters is if you've been pooping a lot recently. (laughs) And if you're honest, if you have the audacity to be honest and say yes, well, then you have to wait 30 minutes for the ship nurse to come off the ship into the port uh, and uh, listen as she explains to you that you can't come on the boat if that's the case. So naturally, she gives you every opportunity to be like... JK, I'm fine And then she goes, I thought so, welcome aboard (laughs) Oh, you laugh now But if such a test were required for admission to C2E2 today How many of you would be here? Huh? Don't answer that, please I don't want to know So uh, a few nights in, after one of our shows uh, We were all hanging out in the green room Drinking with the performers Just roasting this wonderful gentleman named Mark For over an hour, it was great uh, I decided to head back to my room, and it's like between 1 and 2 in the morning, ship time, so I don't know what that is for you land lovers. Uh, and I head alone to the bank of elevators, because again, this cruise ship is so large that it has several banks of elevators. Uh, a couple of the other congoers are there, uh, also headed back to their room, presumably, and they recognize me as a comedian, which is literally all that I ever want. So we get to talking, and they offer me... A pot brownie. Now, I figure, you know, I'm on a boat. I'm halfway between the United States and Mexico. No one's around, so I take it. And then it hits me. The, the realization, not the brownie. <laughs> but I have just taken this item from two strangers. I'm on a boat, halfway between the United States and Mexico, and no one else is around. So I figure, this is probably how I die. I'm just hoping to connect with someone I know Anyone I know And sure enough, at that moment A pretty well-known fantasy author Who was speaking on the ship Passes by He and I had had a chance to meet a couple of times Been on stage together And because this story uh, involves illicit substances I won't mention him by name Especially with the TV show that he's working on right now Uh, But I get his attention and I say Hey, these folks have just given me a pot brownie If I am dead tomorrow... Please start with them. So he takes a moment, looks them both up and down, and says something along the lines of, I've logged their faces. (laughs) But don't kvothe me on that. Spoiler alert, I was fine and fell asleep before I felt anything from the brownie, which was great and also kind of sucked. One of our stops in Mexico was Cabo San Lucas, and if you've never been, I can only describe it as Mars in the first Total Recall movie, where people are just trying to, sh- uh, trying to sell you anything they have by showing you whatever number of breasts they have. <laughs> uh, trying to direct you to bars, tattoo parlors, walking food tours, sitting in an elevated recliner and putting your feet into aquariums so fish can eat the scum from between your toes... This is real. (laughs) One particularly excited gentleman tried to sell me what he called authentic Cuban cigars. Now, I, I do not smoke cigars. I don't particularly enjoy cigars. And I have no doubt that they were not actually from Cuba. So he's holding out these two boxes and says, I can have them both for $50, which he assures me is a steal. I say, I don't want them. He says, all right, how about $40? I say, no. He asks, how much would I pay? Uh, Again, I tell him I don't smoke, but I would pay, I don't know, $20 for both boxes, 10 bucks each? He scoffs and says, $35. Again, I told him that these hold very little value to me. (laughs) I'd pay $20 to get them, have a story, and to end our conversation. He says, $30. I say, no. He says, fine, final offer, $25. I say, thanks, but no thanks. So he looks mad as he relents, $20 it is. I hand him my money, he hands me the knockoff stogies, and he goes on his way. Unfortunately, all of the other guys who are selling cigars in this area saw this, and they go, hey, this guy likes cigars. (laughs) So a couple rush up to me to offer their wares, and I try to explain I don't even want the cigars that I have, let alone the ones you're trying to sell me. And uh, one of them says, okay, fine, but how much did you pay for those? And I say, I paid $20 for both boxes. And he takes a moment, he goes, that's not bad. And then they all walk away. (laughs) So at least I know I got a good deal on something I didn't even want in the first place. So those are just a couple of my stories from the Joko Cruise 2017. And if you catch me when I'm not being recorded, I'd be happy to tell you more. But I can say that without a doubt, that the Joko Cruise was one of the least conventional conventions I have ever been to. Thank you.
0: Joe Gennaro, everybody. I want to point out to our storytellers, you are welcome to use the podium as well, depending on how much shielding you feel like you need. Joe's very brave. He went with just the music stand. So coming up next to the stage, we have a speaker who actually has to go run to a book signing right after this. She is the co-creator and author of My Lady's Choosing, or is it Her Lady's Choosing? My Ladies Choosing, a choose-your-own-adventure romance book just published by Quirk, as well as the co-creator and author of Taylor Swift, Girl Detective, please
4: welcome to the stage my friend Larissa
0: Zagaris.
4: And Eric, that was very sweet because he knew I wanted to use the podium, so I appreciate you being like, why is it weird to use a podium? Thank you. Uh, So this is a little different for me. I'm a writer, so typically when I'm asked to write something, I uh, panic about it, and then spend hours crafting it. And then I panic about that, and then I perform it and seem really off the cuff. But this is different because it's way more off the cuff because I actually have a story for this theme con job. And it starts uh, with me telling you about the job I had in high school, which was I was a lifeguard in the summer. I have a lifeguards physique, so I know you get it. Um, But yeah, I worked at the neighborhood pool that was across the street from my house, and I really wanted to work at Borders Books and Music because I was better than everyone in my town. And (laughs) there was not a Borders Books and Music in my town. My town is very much like a Springsteen song without a factory, so it's a little sadder than a Springsteen song, but Uh, this, it's like poor Pawnee is my town and then Actual Eagleton is called Orland Park and that was where the Borders was and I applied seven times And I think that like I hope that they kept my applications and just laughed at them because I would like write about like my favorite films and Directors and I at one point was like qualifications. I have had a subscription to Entertainment Weekly since fifth grade (laughs) But they never called me back. So I worked at the pool because it was across the street from my house and I definitely thought I was better than the pool and definitely thought I was better than my town and was kind of the odd um, duck out, which is not a phrase, at the pool because it had a really interesting mix of people that worked there. So we had Concessions Mike that we sometimes called Crackhead Mike because he did smoke crack and his name was Mike. Uh, it wasn't us being mean, it was just you know, a really factual nickname. <laughs> and uh, we were managed by this woman who worked for the park district but barely was there so it was kind of a wonderland of youngish people all working in a pool and it was a lot of 16 year olds and 17 year olds like me, uh, people that would never be friends outside of the actual job and then we were managed by a woman that I'll call Sarah who was 21 and had to move home because her brother was beating up her mom and that's not funny, so I'm glad no one laughed, but she kind of got like a rough deal and then ended up back in her high school job, like very soon after escaping the town, she was dragged back in. So this is, a, this is my town. Um, and we all hung out at the pool and we started to hang out outside of the pool and how it happened, I don't know, because I didn't start this, but I definitely got in on it, is we would go orbing. And orbs... Like I hope i 've painted the picture of like the bleak suburb that i 'm from accurately. Uh, orbs are a lawn decoration, or they were i don 't know if they still are, but they look like a Christmas ornament, like a Christmas ball, like the most boring ornament. But if it were big, like this big, and then you would put it like in a bird bath, or like a fairy would hold it, or a stick would like dangle it. And these started showing up in Midlothian in the mid '90s, Midlothian Illinois. Have you been there, yeah, you are not from there, but I appreciate the woo. Um, they started showing up, and we're like, oh, what are those? And it became like a hilarious thing to drive around with these friends that you would never have met or been friends with outside of this job um, and steal them. <laughs> And I didn't steal them at first. Like, it wasn't me that was stealing them. I just would be in the car when they were being stolen. Or I would drive the car when they were being stolen. And it was hilarious in that way that, like, when you're a teenager, you don't care about anyone's feelings. And you're just like, this is funny to me right now. Life. Finally, something in this two-bit town that's great. Stealing. (laughs) Um, So we stole these orbs, and we, like, didn't think anything of it other than like our own youthful vitality and friendship being forged Um, and I was finally like oh I guess if I don't work at Borders at least I have this with these people (laughs) and all was well I think that Sarah who was our manager was like what am I doing Like, but okay like fine like she was in on it too and one day we showed up in the police blotter because my town is like a Springsteen song and like that it has a 1950s newspaper letter thing that goes out and has this cute police blotter where it's like drug deals, home invasions, local vandalism of garden decorations, (laughs) and we thought it was hilarious at first. We thought it was so funny. We're like, we made the paper, (laughs) until her mom's boyfriend saw an orb in her car. And her mom's boyfriend was the chief of police. And her mom's boyfriend didn't like her because Sarah's life, if you haven't already gathered, really sucked. And he was like, where'd you get that? Isn't that that thing that was in the blotter? <laughs> and she said, oh, my friend gave it to me. I don't know. So I walk to work one day and walk into what I can only describe as, like, we didn't have Logan Lucky then, but it was Logan Lucky, it, which is a heist movie with poor people. And I walk in and... All of my coworkers and friends are like graven faced sweating bullets and talking about how to handle the orb situation because she was convinced if her mom 's boyfriend saw the one he was going to see the thirty five she had in her room there were thirty six, but one of us made a bong out of it, and it actually was not this is not me. this was someone else way more creative and into cannabis. Um, So I actually said, I can't go to jail, I'm going to NYU. So I was that person. (laughs) That was my role in the heist, being dead weight that was panicking about tarnishing her pristine reputation after doing a shitty thing. Um, So we didn't know what to do. And we had all these ideas that were all stupid. And finally, uh, Crackhead Mike came in, Concessions Mike, if that is preferable to you, and once he like clocked the situation, and we're all like, you know, like you see our shots, like our solo shots, like the brains, like the brawn, like the, the woman that quit college for this. And, and he came in and he like figured out what was going on. And he goes, I'll handle it. Get him here and I'll handle it. So Sarah and her like too young for her boyfriend managed to smuggle the 35 orbs into the pool in black plastic bags and he drove off with them into the night. (laughs) And this is like, you know, we're just like sweating bullets all night and in the morning we show up in tankinis, or board shorts, uh, to be like, what is our fate? Like, what's gonna happen? Like, have we been had? And concessions Mike comes back and he's like, it's handled. I just put them all back at different houses, <laughs> and I love how hard you laughed because I just conned the shit out of you. That is not how the story happened because this story is atonement for orbs. This story is orb atonement. If you've read orb a torment, <laughs> oh. Okay, orbs. Oh, okay, so what actually happened? He disappeared into the night. We swept bullets. He comes back in. How did you handle it, crack at concessions, Mike? <laughs> he goes, I drove him out to Mokina. And if you know anything about the Southland of Chicago, Mokina in the 90s was like farmland with like a bunch of subdivisions. And we're like, okay, that's good. All right, that's good. Mokina's good. Okay, good. No one knows shit in Mokina. No one can tie Mokina to Midlothian. It's like a 45-minute drive away. And then he goes, and I destroyed him. And we're like, okay, like how? Like they're weird glass, like giant fiberglass balls like and he goes I just took each bag and I just smashed it and I smashed it and I smashed it and I smashed it until it turned into like dust I'm like okay like no one will know their orbs I guess they will just think it's glitter and then we're like and Sarah who's like the most invested in this because to her it's like the pinnacle of her undoing like she went from college to this goes okay so then you just dumped them there right and he goes no I brought them back to Midlothian <laughs> And her face, like I just wish I could describe her face. Like I'm a writer, I'll never have words to describe her face. And it just like fell 25 stories and then didn't die. And she looked at him and she was like, where? Where did you put them? Like where did you put this glittery shit that like everyone in this town that has nothing else going is going to be looking for? And he goes, behind the family home video in the dumpster, (laughs) which was next to her house. (laughs) We didn't get caught. She didn't get caught. We didn't end up in the blotter. We got off scot free. But I think about this story a lot. Like, I think about it all the time because it's hilarious and it's awful. And um, here's the part I did write, so I'm going to read it. Uh, I don't want to steal joy from people like that ever again. Uh, I don't know if I was ever really mad at the orbs, but I think growing up, And the working class side of a poor town, like a working poor town, the orbs represented something to me that was detestable. It was people putting lipstick on a pig that was their life. And even though I was doing that because I wanted to work at Borders and go to NYU, and I didn't work at Borders, but I did go to NYU. um, It was something that, was caustic and full of hatred and no understanding. And even though we didn't think about that, we just thought about being kids and like being goofy and having a good time at others' expense, like we probably broke a lot of hearts that night. Because you have um, you know, people who just are constantly behind the eight ball financially and health-wise who don't really have an extra 35 bucks, and they're spending it on a ball they find in Home Depot, and they're like, this. This is the thing. It's my shiny. And we took their shiny. And I never want to do that again. So like, we didn't have the phrase basic when I was growing up. But I think it's OK to be basic. And it's OK to like your orbs or your, you know, your PSLs or whatever it is that like gives you joy. Like The real heist is taking on the people that like choke hold the joy out of life so much that that's the only way we can find joy. That's a much longer con. But uh, the lesson of this you should take home is do not go orbing. It is for assholes and for punk kids. Thank you so much. Also, we'll be signing at Quirk, Bo- Quirk Books Booth 516. It's My Lady's Choosing. You can find us at kittyandlarissa.tumblr.com. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you,
0: Nerla. Yeah, Larissa Zagaris, everybody. She's signing right now. She'll be there after the show. We also have a show after this. Um, Anyone out there going orbing tonight, please don't. So I'm also from around the same place as Larissa. And I have been to Midlothian. And I associate it with Bachelors Grove, the cemetery, the haunted cemetery. And doesn't that just sound like a Springsteen song waiting to be written? Bachelors Grove, Like that's perfect for him. All right, let's hear from some more people. So, this next woman coming to the stage, uh, I, I do another podcast with her, and yet she's never done this show of mine. I can't believe it. Seven years it took. Uh, the shirt she's wearing is indicative of the show we do. We do a show called She Ra, Progressive of Power, about the kind of surprisingly modern messages of a very weird 80s cartoon that's coming back this year. Please put your hands together for my co host and friend, Lauren Fates. Yeah. I'm going to use the
3: podium, because even when my brain is not nervous, my body shakes. Uh, All right, so I surprisingly, to me, have been going to conventions for almost 20 years. And so I've seen a lot of change, uh, namely in what is the popular fandom of the time. So just, this is participation time, what is a popular fandom right now? Marvel. Marvel. Yu-Gi-Oh! Yu-Gi-Oh? I don't know about that. All right, so uh, even after 20 years, the fandom that this story is about has never become popular. Uh, Please raise your hand if you've ever heard of the game Para Para Paradise. I see like, Three, So this story is perfect. Uh, <laughs> to understand kind of the context of this, you have to take a journey with me back to high school. Uh, when other kids were playing sports and being popular and experimenting with sex and drugs, uh, my AIM screen name was Japanime Girl with two R's. And I was wearing kitty ears and hanging out at Crazy Nichols Arcade, also in the Chicago suburbs. Uh, and we were playing para para. So para para has been compared to Dance Dance Revolution except instead of your feet you hit the arrows with your arms. Uh, The secret is the arrows aren't random. Uh, They're actually uh, corresponding with like actual choreographed dances from Japanese nightclubs to actual songs. So if you know the choreography, you will hit the arrows. Uh, if this sounds pretentious and geeky, you are right. <laughs> so if I'm honest, uh, Parapara looks a lot like aircraft signaling, and so I'm going to show you a demo. Here we go. <laughs> Okay, thank you. So picture that, but it's like teenage girls in leather skirts going, gosh, I hope boys are watching me do this. (laughs) I just really hope they're watching. So somehow uh, it gets kind of known in the scene that my friends and I do this, and a Japanese singer named Yoko Ishida asks us to be her backup dancers for some para para routines at Anime Central 2003. Uh, Some of you that I see in the audience were probably, maybe, not even born at that point. Uh, But we were given some CDs and some videos and three songs to practice, and we took this far. So my friends and I, we made multiple costume replicas of like dancers that we knew lived in Japan because we wanted to look just like them. And we got excused absences from our high school because we convinced them that ASEN was a cultural event. <laughs> 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 I think we even might have gotten out of like the walk-a-thon that year, it was a big deal. So uh, the big day came, we're at the convention center, And I'm a very hangry person, I have like a real uh, blood sugar problem, and so when lunchtime came I was just starving. Yoko Ishida hasn't shown up yet, we're super worried, we haven't really touched base with her, so we tell her entourage, we're just gonna go get some food, we'll be back as fast as we can. So we go, me and my best friend Susan, we get lunch, just inhale it like Kirby. And then we get back, and in that short time, we have been kicked from the show and replaced by other dancers because they thought we had bailed. Uh, And I was just devastated, and to this day, I'm not sure if the eight dancers that were suddenly there to replace us uh, were just pulled off the street or if they practiced as well and we never heard about them. All I knew was that I was a teenage girl and because I ate a sandwich, my dreams weren't going to come true. <laughs> and that's like a terrible thing to tell a teenage girl, by the way. But, uh, so seeing how devastated we were, Yoko Ishida herself invites us, okay, you can come on the stage for the last song, which was Cruel Angel's Thesis. Uh, And we're like, fine, just one song. We've been practicing for months, but that's fine. Uh, The lights go down. I'm so nervous. And even though I'm mad at all these new dancers for taking away my glory, I hold hands with, like, one of the boy ones who looks super cute, and I think he looks like Squall from Final Fantasy VIII. Uh, And... You know, in hindsight, I stayed friends with him, and I stayed friends with all of those dancers who came in to replace us, Uh, but I haven't become any less bitter or presumptuous about strangers in the rest of my life. (laughs) The dancing was great, it was short, Uh, but for the rest of the convention, we got to hang out with Yoko Ishida, and this is where Kanjab really sort of comes in. Because we were in these elaborate cosplays, people kept mistaking us for her actual entourage from actual Japan. And so being Japanime girl, I was very cringe-worthy just into this. And there are so many photos that I just wanna burn of me being like, yay, konnichiwa, in a way that was completely disrespectful. (laughs) Uh, But at the time, I was just having the time of my life. Uh, And so that Monday, I went back to school and nobody else at my high school had attended ASEN, nobody had heard of Eurobeat music or Para Paradise, uh, and so they had no idea what I'd just experienced. But there was a poster that would hang on my wall for years to come that said, uh, Dear Lauren, you are cute. Love, Yoko, XOXO. And I was like, yeah, someone in Japan thinks I'm cute. And I would never, ever be popular in high school. As a lot of you probably can relate to, I was quite the opposite. But that poster and that experience got me through a lot of hard times. And so I don't know what the lesson is here. It might be if you have a special hobby that no one else knows about, just inflate your resume and everyone will believe you. Uh, Or it might be this, embrace wholeheartedly just the dumbest, nerdiest, most obscure thing that you love so much that nobody else has ever heard of. Because I did, and 15 years later, that memory still makes me happy and uh, still gives me a little bit of geek cred. So, thanks guys.
0: Lauren Fates, everybody, with the story and some sweet moves. I also have a story about not getting to perform with a band that I really liked at Lollapalooza, but mine doesn't have a happy ending. The happy ending is that I didn't get to be interviewed by uh, KG from Tenacious D. So. I know, but this isn't about me, guys. This isn't about me. So coming next up here, uh, speaking of that She-Ra podcast I do, which once again is She-Ra, Progressive of Power, this gentleman was our season premiere guest uh, because he happened to write a brand Bible for She-Ra for the uh, new Netflix show, which is being helmed by Noel Stevenson, you may know. But that's not why you know this guy. You might know him from an image book called Revival. You might know him because of Green Lanterns or Nightwing. If you don't, you're going to know him in about five seconds as we welcome to the stage Mr. Tim
5: Seal. Thank you. All right, excuse me if I'm a little nervous, I'm a comic book artist, not a performer, so I sit by myself in a dark room with no other people to watch me. <clears throat> but so my story is specifically about conventions, because it's kind of a big part of my life. Um, so I've been a comic book fan since I was a little kid, <laughs> probably around five years old. I discovered Spider-Man, got super into comics loved Marvel comics, and then as I got older in comics, started to get really into, you know, the X-Men and stuff, which is what you do as a teenager, and I discovered the character Wolverine, which is a big character for teenagers. And at the time, my favorite title was, the Wolverine book was written by a guy named Larry Hama. And Larry is, like, he's the Forrest Gump of pop culture. Super interesting guy, he's been everywhere, you know, was on an episode of M.A.S.H. as a bad guy, like, he's a really interesting guy. <laughs> so. As I was a fan of comics, I eventually wanted to do this as a job. So, you know, all through high school, I was working on comics. I I majored in illustration college. And I I, I worked for small companies, um, very small companies, and you will never find those comics, thank God. But uh, in 2002, I got lucky. Uh, A friend of mine was starting a comic book company, a guy had met at a convention, and he called me up and said, I need somebody to run traffic. And he hired me to work at his comic book company, and the first debut book they did was G.I. Joe, which is, the 80s uh, action figure reboot of the old plastic figure with the fuzzy head and the scar on his face. <laughs> so I came in as, as first to run the show, help him out, but eventually I had to become the comic book artist of G.I. Joe just because of time and working with a, a licensing company. And so, you know, I said I was a big comic book fan. One of the things I just never cared about was G.I. Joe. <laughs> um, and my reasoning from when I was a kid, and it's terrible, but when we were kids, my little brother loved G.I. Joe, and the G.I. Joe figures are three and three quarters. They're, they're, you know, about this big. And when we were kids, as three boys, my little brother loved G.I. Joe, and my other brother and I were like, G.I. Joe is lame, he's small, and we'd always say, G.I. Joe is so gay. Uh, so, but we thought He-Man was the really cool figure. He-Man! <laughs> the guy with the metal strap and the furry underwear, like, that is a straight toy, dude. <laughs> but, I ended up really kind of getting to like the job. I loved drawing GI Joe. It was really fun. It was really weird, um, and it, it really led to a lot of crazy um, uh, work stuff because it was a very popular property. So we got invited to our first GI Joe Con uh, in 2003 when I was working at, at Devil's Due, and GI Joe Con is like C2E2 but just for GI Joe. <laughs> so it's very narrow focus, and GI Joe fans, very passionate GI Joe fans, tend to be military dudes. Um, you know, like army builders and stuff like this, uh, and, and you know, we go in there this first time, we're so excited, and uh, one of the people I got to meet at the show, you know, in, in between doing uh, panels and drawing sketch for people, I got to meet Larry Hama, right? And he, was, he was one of the guests of honor, and Larry is always a guest of honor G.I. Joe, because G.I. Joe was basically created, the new version was created by Larry, basically. So Snake Eyes, the cool ninja guy, all that stuff was created by Larry. So he's like a royalty at these shows. (laughs) The thing about Larry is uh, he doesn't really—he's not a super conversational guy, and he gets sick of being approached at these conventions all the time. So he's a little bit like aloof and stuff about hanging out. But when he met me, for some reason, he was like, "I'm gonna hang out with you," and I was like, "Oh my god, that's so cool!" And primarily, why he hang with me was because. He's at GI Joe con, and I'm not a Republican. So, uh, so this was like one of our early bonding things that you know we we, we uh, got to hang out about. But so Larry and I had a great time. We went, you know, we just walked around the show, we bullshit, it was great. And then there came time, the Hasbro, the toy company, had a dinner party they wanted us all to come to. So Hasbro uh, rented out a van, and they took us to to uh, pleasure island. This this convention, by the way, was in Florida. <clears throat> it was near Disneyland so they took us to Pleasure Island and they, they plied us with, uh, with drinks and they bought us food it was great, my boss is watching this go on, we're all hanging out he pulls me aside and he says hey man, you know what, definitely have a good time this is cool, Hasbro's taking us out do not get too drunk and do not be embarrassing okay, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah no problem, you know but I'm 24 at the time uh, so I mean I'm hanging out with Larry, we're having a great time, I'm hanging out with the Hasbro guys, hanging out with fans. I'm having my drinks, I'm having my boozes. At a certain point, I stop really remembering much. I have flashes, though, of events, and the events are like I recall running between a man on stilts, and he's walking around dressed as Uncle Sam, and putting my head between his crotch and doing this, you know? And I have this faint memory of being in a fountain of water. And splashing around, and a clown yelling at me to stop. So it's like, (laughs) clearly, I'm having a really good time at this show. Uh, But you know, here I'm gonna go back to my notes here. Uh, But so, at the end of the night, um, you know, as far as I remember, we have to call a cab. We have to go about this like 20-minute ride back to uh, to our hotel. And they call us a couple different um, vans to pick us up, and I get in the van with Larry to go back. So we're going back, everybody else, my boss, all the people from Hasbro, we're in a caravan basically. And they're all in the van ahead of us, and me and Larry are in the back of one van, and we're hanging out, having a good time, and all of a sudden, you know that thing where you're like, you're drunk, and you got to that point where things start spinning, and you're like, oh god, oh no, we're going over the line, This is, I'm never coming back from this moment? So I, I yelled to the, to, the, to the van driver, man, you gotta pull over, you gotta pull over. And he's, you know, he's like, we can't, there's nothing around here. We're in the middle, we're basically between Pleasure Island and this hotel. The only thing that's around is the Disney corporate campus. That's the only, there's no, there's no 7-Eleven, there's no anything. And I'm finally like, you have to pull over. So the guy jacks over the side. Larry concerned about me, he's like, I'll come with you, I'm like, no, no, don't, don't, don't. don't. He's like, no, I got you, I got you. So he helps me walk out onto the lawn of the Disney corporate campus, you know? And I'm with Larry Hama, I'm like, wow, what a great moment in my life, he's helping me out. We get onto the thing, I finally just collapse on the ground before he can get me any farther, and I throw up on Larry Hama's shoes. Right on his shoes. So we're, I'm on my hands and knees, Larry's standing there, the man who had written Wolverine when I was a kid, man who created Snake Eyes, cool ass dude who is on M.A.S.H., for God's sakes, you guys. And he looks down at me and I look down up at him and then the sprinklers of the corporate (laughs) lawn go on all around me. So then the question I'm thinking at this time is, does this count as drunk and is this embarrassing? (laughs) But so we get back, Larry doesn't say anything about it. I'm like, oh God. I get, my boss clearly knows what has happened because he saw from the caravan that Stopped. He's seen this entire event happen. And, you know, I wake up the next morning, a headache. I, my boss is just horrified with me. And he's like, oh my God, but we're, we're going to lose this license. This company's over if we don't have GI Joe. That's all we have. You, you know, that should have been the end of my career. Larry Hama should never have talked to me again. Instead, it was like everybody has was like, dude, awesome. That was amazing. <laughs> and they're all like, that was legendarily stupid. Uh, and Larry and I ended up working together on several comics. I see him at shows all the time. I'm like, "Hey, man!" But he always remembers to tell the story about how I barfed on his shoes. <laughs> so, thank you.
0: Tim Seely, everybody. It sounds like we should go party with him after the show tonight. We have one more storyteller. This dude has been around all seven years of the show. He is a great friend to us. Uh, he works for the Chicago Public Library out there fighting the good fight. I know a lot of us out here care about things like literacy and, and helping the young people of Chicago, and he does that tirelessly. He's also a really great storyteller. Please put your hands together for the excellent Christopher
6: Crotwell.
2: Everybody's, uh, everybody's puked on somebody. <laughs> I, uh, I worked my way through college in a small health food store in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Uh, the wellness industry, I think as most of you know, is not necessarily the most up-and-up shit all of the time. Uh, it was owned by two, uh, a nice divorced couple who used to be legit hippies, but they got a little older, they had kids. They made a little money, you know, joined a golf club. It happens, unfortunately. And uh, we sold all the regular health food shit, but supplements are really what move things off the shelves, and we had some crazy stuff, you know. The ludicrous things like detoxifying Kenoki foot pads, and Sonny's number seven, which people were convinced would help them pass a drug test, but it's just a jar of fucking dirt. <laughs> it's just people just drinking $15 dirt. But the most the most the most egregious shit that we had in the store was a product called Miracle 2 soap. And I don't know if any of you have ever seen Miracle 2 soap before. Um, but it was created by created by a man named Clayton Teddington in uh, Louisiana in the 1980s. And he apparently had been having some conversations with the Lord. Uh <laughs> And after some of those conversations, a magic combination of minerals and other ingredients was splashed onto his wall, and it became his life's mission to spread the good word about this magical formula that God had given him. Now, here are the ingredients. The first ingredient is electrically engineered alloptic energy. Which is a combination of electrical and optical fucking energy. Which doesn't mean anything. The second ingredient is prayer and the rest of Yeah. The second ingredient is prayer. And the rest of the ingredients are, surprise, just the ingredients to fucking soap. So it's it's soap. And it's 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 fifteen dollar a bottle soap. Which it's weird that after his conversation with God, God was like, don't sell that shit for less than 15 bucks. <laughs> this is my glory we're giving to humanity. I have here, I printed a, the uh, 10-page pamphlet for the uses of Miracle 2 soap, and I just wanna hit a couple highlights, right? So it's soap, so the first couple things they talk about, oven cleansing, spot cleaning, spots on clothes, wax stripper, right? That all makes sense. Insects, fire ants, fleas, and ticks. Then it gets to the section which is nine of the ten pages that are based on testimonials. What that means is you can say whatever you goddamned want. So here we go through a couple. It starts off with aches and pains, acne problems, AIDS. Yeah. Uh, Bronchitis, burns, cuts, and scratches, cancer. (laughs) Common cold, denture hotspots, fingernail fungus, gulf war syndrome. <laughs> right? So, here's the thing. Like, everybody that bought that was dumb as a sack of hammers, right? And, and it is fine to understand that about them. But since I moved to Chicago from Alabama, uh, I have been in the occasionally and often unenviable position of defending the great people of my home state. <laughs> Uh, In in the United States, we often think that poor people are a special kind of stupid, right? One that's split out from all of the rest of the kinds of stupid. We think that this is a meritocracy, right? But that's a joke. And I think there are better people to make fun of. Punching up is important. Have any of you ever been on Goop? (laughs) Goop is a website that Gwyneth Paltrow runs. And she... Is the preeminent huckster of our time. And the people buying her shit aren't poor folks, right? For instance, a $55 piece of rose quartz that you shove up your vagina. Fifty-five fucking dollar crotch rock. It is not a poor lady in Winston County, Alabama buying that. By the way, Alabama has some of the most severe extant poverty in the industrialized world, you know? So again, maybe these aren't the people to be punching at. Here's the thing, $80 rose quartz bottle that gives your water better energy. But the worst thing, the most egregious thing I've seen anyone sell in my entire adult life is live, raw water. It's just dirty, goddamned water, right? And here's the thing, like, in a lot of counties in Alabama, that's just called water. And every time you drink it, there's a statistically significant chance that you will shit until you die. In a lot of the world, that's what water is. But some dude named Bryce is buying it to take back to his tech incubator, and isn't that a better person to make fun of? Right? That's the dude that you fucking poke at. Everybody's stupid. You swing a cat at this con, you're gonna hit someone absolutely catatonically dumb. (laughs) But that is across demographics, right? That is across demographics. And and all I wanna leave everybody with is that here's the thing. We're going to be living together through late stage capitalism for a while. And punching up is important.
0: Chris Crotwell, the master of this show, everybody. Dwight, Katie, why don't you come up? We got time for just one more song, guys. Thank you all so much for coming. This is one of the best shows we've done in a long ass time. You're all so great. Give it up for everyone who spoke too, huh? Yeah. All right, and help us sing along. It doesn't. This song doesn't super fit the theme, but you know, it's it's a convention. It's a good place to sing it. One, two, three, four. Uga chaka, uga, uga, uga
6: chaka, uga, uga, uga chaka, uga, uga, chaka, uga, uga. I can't this feeling deep inside of me, girl. You just don't realize what you do to me. Ooga, ooga, chaka, ooga, when you ooga, hold me ooga, chaka, ooga, in your arms ooga, so chaka, tight, ooga, you let me know ooga, chaka, ooga, everything's alright. I'm hooked on a feeling. I'm high believing that you're in love with me.
7: Lips as sweet as candy. Girl, you got me thirsty for another couple of wine.
6: girl, yeah, you turned me on, I'm hooked on a feeling, and I'm high on believing, yeah, that you're in love with me, I said I'm hooked on a feeling, and I'm high on believing, that you're in
0: You all were so great. This has been a Nerdalogs production. If you'd like to help make more things like this, please visit patreon.com slash to donate today. And go to www.nerdalogs.com for more cool stuff. Thanks for being awesome.
6: Thank you all. Thank you all. I am, am grabbot23548X.